Good evening. Wow, I just, I second everything um, Leo just said. Um, this is a, the first stop. We're um, going to be touring around a little bit and ministering in Australia. And all the other churches that we are going to, they found out that we were coming here. They're like, oh, Charles and Nicole. Oh, we love them. No, they are like family to us. Uh, Phil and Maria Mason, they're like, oh, Charles and Nicole are simply glorious. Everybody's like, oh, you can't wait to meet them. And so we couldn't wait to meet them. And now we see why. Their whole family is awesome. So thank you so much for having us. We are so excited to be here. Um, I am so excited to be talking about mm, my most favorite way to hear from God, which is through our dreams at night. Yes. Um, just so we're totally clear on what we mean about hearing God through our dreams, we're actually talking about hearing God through our dreams every night. Yeah. We're talking about connecting with heaven every night. We're talking about receiving divine revelation every single night. So, you know, what kind of dreams are we talking about? Um, you know, if, if an angel or God himself shows up in our dream and says, hey, go here, do this. Okay, that's pretty clear. We don't need a whole seminar on dream interpretation to figure that out, right? Nothing is lost in translation because it's literal. And every once in a while, we are blessed with those kind of dreams. But most of us, most of the time, we don't have such literal dreams, right? Um, we call them pizza dreams, right? We have crazy dreams. We think they're weird, and we don't even want to tell anybody about our dreams um, because then they're going to think we're nuts. Okay, so those are actually the dreams that we are talking about hearing God through. They're really not that weird. They're really not that crazy. Um, we just need to learn how to decrypt and decode them. So, uh, Tonight, I'm going to be sharing a few of my dreams. Um, we're going to be looking at some examples in Scripture of how God interpreted dreams in the Bible. Um, just kind of give us a, a big picture feel for this um, dream work, what it's about. And then, and then we'll get into more looking more in-depth carefully at some of the keys for uh, dream interpretation. But um, the very first thing we need to understand about dreams is that they are symbolic. Um, like we said, there are things that happen in our dreams that usually don't come true like they did in the dream. So they're metaphorical, they're allegorical, and the things in them represent other things, and the people in them even represent other people. So dreams are communicated in a symbolic picture language. And that is awesome, because the awesome thing about a language is it can be learned, right? It's something that we can master. We can practice and get good at it. Like, uh, for example, um, I think a lot of you I've heard have been over to Zambia, and uh, one of the languages they speak there, Nyanja, right? So if Pastor Charles says something to me in Nyanja, and I understand what he says, is he going to say, ooh, Charity, you have the gift of Nyanja. I don't have the gift of it. No, I studied. I practiced to learn to become fluent in that language. Okay, and so it is with dreams. It is a picture language that we can actually learn the principles 
and practice and invest time learning, and then we, we become fluent in translating the language that God speaks to us at night through our dreams. So um, I just want to, right at the beginning, share kind of a couple of things, common misconceptions about dreams, um, and clarify uh, some things. A lot of times, you know, if we dream of something from our day. Um, you know, we went somewhere, like we went to a waterfall today. And so then that's going to show up maybe in my dream tonight. And then I'll be like, oh, well, that's just, you know, that's just processing the day. That's just recycling leftovers. You know, it's reruns. That doesn't mean anything. Well, actually, it does. It, it definitely does. God will take symbols from our waking world and our immediate waking world and insert those into the dream at night because they're really familiar to us. But it doesn't mean, but because, because they're symbolic, it doesn't mean that it's just talking about that waterfall. No, it's representing something else. So let me just give an example because usually when we just have examples to see how it works in a real life dream, this is what we're talking about. So um, I had a dream and um, I was on a pole vaulting team. Yes. Whew. And so everybody was like really doing good. And they're just like, you know, going up over the high bar and everybody could do it except for me because I was like too weak and sick and I, I couldn't get over the bar. But then um, a couple friends came and they helped me and they kind of nursed me back to health. Um, so then I was strong and healthy and then I was able to pole vault too. So what does that mean? That seems like a pizza dream, right? That's weird. I'm not on a pole vaulting team. That's got nothing to do with me. So you say, oh, well, you know, maybe you were watching the Olympics, right? Too much Rio. Well, not, not really. What it is, God will use a picture, and he's trying to communicate something to me. So we just need to decode it. And one of the very first things we understand for decoding our dreams is the importance of the setting of our dream, the setting of our dream. So what is going on in my waking life when I have the dream? And the other question we asked, and it was mentioned already, we asked, well, what is the, the biggest action of the dream? Well, let's see, in this dream, well, I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to get over something, right? And then the biggest feeling in this dream, well, I'm struggling. I can't get over it. So we take the emotion of struggling and the action of struggling in the dream. Where in my waking life am I struggling to get over something? Well, it just so happened in my waking life that there was this person and they had done something and they just said something and it just sort of bothered me. And I'd have been actually wondering, you know, should I, should I confront them? Should I let them know that what they said, you know, I didn't really appreciate it? Or should I just, you know, should I let it go? Should I just get over it? So God gave me a dream showing me, hey, get over it. Rise above it, right? Because everyone else was able to get over it. And so if I am spiritually strong and spiritually healthy, I should have no problem rising above and getting over this thing. So I just need to forgive them. I need to, as long as, as, as much as it lies with me, live at peace with all men, 
right? And walk in forgiveness and love. And so that was just a very simple dream picture, but it answered the question of my heart. So I look at what am I thinking about and praying for as I go to sleep at night and I'm wondering about the situation and then God gives me that dream. And that's the answer to my heart's question from when I went to sleep. Um, another another um, example of this, we just want to look at these principles of, um, of action, the main action and the main feeling and the, and the setting of the dream and see how, how that fits together. And it's pretty fun. I'll, um, <laughs> this, um, this dream um, it happened, it was a few years ago now, but I was, do you know those, do you know those Tim Allen Christmas movies? Like, okay, so, you know, every Christmas they have these, and, you know, there's, like, an old Santa Claus, and he's retiring, but then they, there's a new Santa Claus, and so they have to christen the new Santa Claus, and um, so, so I was him. I was the new Santa in town, and so um, I was, you know, just like they always are in those movies, I was kind of, like, um, freaking out about that. I was just a little bit unsure about this and not really... Um, confident in what was expected of me. Um, but then I was christened with the magical Santa superpowers. And then I'm like, oh, I can totally do this. You know, I can go around the world in a single night or whatever I need to do. And so then I woke up and then I was, I was happy at the end of the dream. So what does that mean? That, that seems really weird. It seems really strange. So we know, we look at the action. What is the biggest action? What am I doing in this dream? Well, what I'm doing, I'm, I'm getting a new job. You know, I'm being positioned in this new place of responsibility. That's kind of the biggest thing that's going on in this dream. If you kind of look at it, um, step back and just look at it. And then, well, obviously, how am I feeling about this? I am not sh I'm not sure about it at all. I'm feeling very unsure about it at the beginning, and then at the end, at the end, it was okay. So um, when I look at this action and this emotion, I overlay it onto my waking life setting. I look around in my waking life. Okay, so where in my waking life uh, do I have a new responsibility that I'm not very sure about, right? And so it just so happens at this time in my life, uh, my husband, my beloved, Leo, had just, uh, he and I had been asked to lead a couple's Bible study. And so we're like, yeah, that would be awesome. We'd be happy to do that. Um, but it was for a group of people that we really didn't know very well. And so just like a few weeks into this thing, it, it quickly became apparent uh, that Leo and I were the only charismatics in the group. Yeah. And so while they were all, I mean, they were very sincere in their faith, um, they just, they were not at all interested in, you know, the gift of speaking in tongues or the gift of healing or the gift of prophecy, you know, all that good stuff. And so Leo and I are like on the other end of the spectrum because we want everything God has for us. So, um, you know, we've been trying to just kind of make this work and I'd been praying, you know, God just, you know, I want to be, I want to be salty. I want them to see, you know, how awesome it is to live it, you know, supernatural walk with you. But it was just, it was a little uh, frustrating and I was a little unsure of, of what we had gotten ourselves into. 
And so, you know, it had just, we had gone to this, it was Tuesday night, and, and I had been telling my husband on the drive home from this Bible study, honey, I, we are not, we are not the people for this. God needs to get somebody else, and um, you better believe I let God know about this. I'm like, seriously, do you see what's going on down here? I said, I don't think this, that we are the right people for this right now. And so I was going to sleep with this tension in my heart I'm very unsure about this and not, not super happy about it because it's just it's kind of like, uh, I, don't think, I don't think it's the right place to be. So God gives me this dream in this setting. So all of a sudden, it seems like a weird dream, but when you look at the setting from my waking life, oh, well, that makes sense, right? I've got this new position that I'm feeling unsure about. And so God was showing me through the dream, hey, I see, I see that you feel unsure about it. But I've positioned you. I placed you here. I called you here for this season for a reason. And, and I'm equipping you, right? That was the magical Santa superpowers. That was the anointing. And so he's like, I'm giving you the wisdom. You know, I'm giving you the grace. And I want you here. And, you know, because of all the people that can be chosen to be Santa, I was it. So all the people that God could have put in this, you know, couple's Bible study, God put us. He's like, are your steps not ordered by me? You know, do I not orchestrate everything? I'm like, yeah, okay, got it. So I, so I woke up and I was encouraged by this dream. Like I understood, okay, God put me here. He's equipping me. He's anointing me. That's awesome. And that made sense. However, I still did, hmm, I, I, I had, had bone to pick with God. I'm like, but just, you know, it was a great dream and everything. I'm really encouraged. But Santa Claus, I mean, really? The symbol that he used, I had to explain to God, okay, number one, that is totally unspiritual. <laughs> not to mention entirely extra biblical. I'm like, God, could you have not, like, come up with a little bit better symbol for me in my dream? And so I'm trying to enlighten God about this, and, and he just laughs at me. He just laughed and said, oh, come on, chair. Don't you get it? You are a carrier of my presence. Presence. You're bringing me and my gifts to the group. Like, oh, well, I guess if you put it that way, then it's a pretty perfect symbol. So dreams are super fun like that. God will just use puns and plays on words because he's a fun God. He's in a good mood. Um, so those are, those are a couple of dreams just um, to give you an idea how, how it looks in my life. But we should also definitely look to see how it is in Scripture. So um, we can all actually turn to a passage in Judges. There's a pretty awesome dream story. And we can see how um, God interpreted it. Um, Judges chapter 7. And uh, we've already learned the first thing we need to know about dreams is the setting. So I'll just give you the setting of this dream. It's Gideon. We know that guy, right? I mean, he's a, he's a good guy. And he, you know, he's, he's trying to follow God. He's just got some inferiority issues. He's got a little bit of trust issues, right? That's where he started out. 
Because remember, there's like the bad guys, the Midianites, and they've come and they're oppressing Israel. And so he is just like hiding out, threshing grain in a wine press. And, and that's where God comes and finds him. And he, so God comes to him and he's like, hey, Gideon, mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like, who, me? He's like, yeah, mighty man of valor. Come on, let's go to war and, and let's fight Midian. He's like, no, 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 you totally have the wrong guy. He's like, I am, Gideon just gave him excuses. I'm, the, I'm you know, the least in my family and our, our family is the least in our tribe. And I'm, you know, I don't think I should be going to war. And God's like, no, seriously, mighty man of valor, let's go to war. So um, then he's like, okay, but if it's really you, just um, could we, he, he wanted to do the whole fleece thing. Remember, he's like, okay, just let, let the, let the dew come down and just like soak my fleece on the ground, but let all the ground around it be totally dry. So God's like, okay. So he does this miracle to confirm his word. And so Gideon's like, wow, that's cool. But just, okay, if you don't mind, just like, okay, one more time. If we could just do the opposite, if we could just have my fleece be like totally dry, but then like all the ground around it be soaking wet with dew. And so God did, because God is infinitely patient with us. So he gets these signs and he's like, okay, we can do this. Let's go to war. Gideon, he's ready to go. He's ready to obey God's word. And then God's like, okay, but just by the way, like, by the way, that army that you have of 32,000 soldiers, too many, too many, because you're going to go to war and you're going to win. And you're going to say it's because of the strength of your arm that you won. And you need to realize that it's me giving you the victory. So we know what God did. He took that army of 32,000 strong and he whittled it down to 300. 300 guys. So how many know Gideon is back to freaking out? Okay, and so that's where we're going to pick up this story because he's freaking out. But then there's a dream and then there's an interpretation and that changed everything. So Judges chapter 7 and we're going to pick it up in verse 9. Uh, verse 9 says, Now the same night it came about that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it to your hands. But Gideon, if you're afraid to go down, go with Purah, your servant, down to the camp. And you'll hear what they say, and afterward your hands will be strengthened, that you may go down against the camp. So Gideon went with Purah, his servant, down to the outpost of the army that was in the camp. Verse 12 now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the sons of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. When Gideon came, behold, a man was relating a dream to his friend, and he said, behold, I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread was tumbling into the camp of Midian. And it came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his friend answered and said, Oh, this is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. 
God has given Midian and all the camp into his hand. And it came about when Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation that he bowed in worship. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the camp of Midian into your hands. Wow. So there are so many things we can learn from just this small dream story. There's awesome principles for interpreting our dreams found right here in these scriptures. So number one, we want to understand, you know, we're not going to make like huge major decisions based just on a dream because Gideon didn't. God had already been telling him over and over, hey, go to war. So we see then, though, in verse 9, it says, Now the same night it came about, the Lord said, Arise, go down against the camp. So God had already been speaking to him. I've given it into your hands. But if you're afraid, then you can go and hear about the stream. So a lot of times, if we are not necessarily um, obeying what God is speaking to us in our waking life, or maybe we're missing it, then he could give us a dream at night to just kick us into gear. That's what he did to Gideon, and that kind of just confirmed everything that God had been speaking to him during the day. So um, the next thing we can see is is the action, right? Because we always want to look at the main action of a dream. So if you look at um, verse 13, it says, Gideon came, behold, a man was relating a dream to his friend, I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread was tumbling into the camp of Midian. It came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so it laid flat. So that's the big action. Something coming in and just wiping it out, making everything go flat, the enemy camp. And so that was actually literal. That was an action that was going to happen. So that part of the dream was literal, but we know most... Most of our dreams, they're symbolic. So then where does the dream get symbolic? Well, it's a loaf of barley bread that's wiping out the enemy camp. So how many know that sounds like a pizza dream, right? That sounds like crazy and weird. But, But no, actually... There's a lot of really good reasons that it was um, it was loaf of bread. Uh, number one, do you remember where we found Gideon? Where did God find him? He was he was threshing grain, right? So here, Gideon identifies himself with grain. He's like, I'm not this mighty man of valor. I'm just yeah, I'm just doing this. And God's like, hey, will you identify yourself with, with grain? Look what I can do with grain. You know, I can, I can wipe out the army with it. And, you know, the other reason that it was, you know, it was a loaf of, of bread. A loaf of bread is small. You don't have like a loaf of bread. You have a loaf of bread. Well, that was Gideon's army, right? Just 300. It was small. It was small for him and his enemy sure thought it was small. But something else that's small is also like a brick. A brick is small, but it's still kind of threatening. You can still do some damage with a brick. But it wasn't a brick. A loaf of bread, it's like, it's soft. It's like weak. Okay? And again, that is how Gideon saw his army. It's small. It's soft. It's weak. And then it was barley bread. And I heard a pastor teach about this one time, and he said, that, you know, in that 
day in that culture that barley was like the least esteemed of the grains. Like if you could afford something else, you would be eating something else other than barley. So it was just kind of looked down upon. So how many know Gideon's army is unesteemed, disregarded, looked down upon? In every way, this loaf of barley bread is a perfect symbol, a perfect picture of Gideon and how he sees himself in his little, small, weak army. And God says, hey, I get how you see yourself, but look what I can do in you and through you and with you. So it was an awesome picture. And this is this is the cool thing. If you look in verse 14, verse 14, he tells this whole story about a loaf of barley bread wiping out the camp. And what does it say in verse 14? His friend answered and said, oh, this is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel. God's given Midian and all the camp into his hand. Immediately, he understood the dream. Immediately, he decoded that symbol and that picture and he translated that, that symbolic language that the dream was get, given in. And see, that's the, that's the thing. Uh, it pretty much, in every other culture, in every other time period, other than like right now in 21st century Western culture, pretty much everyone else honors dreams a lot more than we do. And so we need to, we need to get back to this. They honored dreams, and as a result, they were able to decode it and decrypt it and translate it and understand it immediately. So that is, that is really awesome. We want to learn from that. We want to honor dreams and be able to immediately understand the symbolic language they're spoken in too. But then the most important part of this dream, it comes in verse 15. In verse 15, it says, it came about when Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation that he bowed in worship. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the camp of Midian into your hands. So he acted on the dream, right? He heard the dream and the interpretation, and he lived into the dream, and he made his dream come true. So that's what we want to do. We want to act on the dreams that God gives us, live into them, make them come true. And, and then we know he had victory, and, um, and he was able to, yeah, defeat, defeat the Midianites. So that is an awesome biblical example of God speaking through a quote-unquote weird dream, a quote-unquote crazy dream, but it wasn't crazy at all. God was still totally speaking through it. Um. I want to share another one of my dreams um, that's pretty fun, just because it illustrates several different principles of dream interpretation, just so that you can kind of get a feel of for how they look in a dream. And uh, one thing we want to understand is that in our dreams, numbers are almost always literal. Literal, like every other part of our dream, we want to look at it symbolically and figuratively, except numbers. Because every single time there were numbers in a dream in the Bible, every time they were literal. Like remember Joseph's brothers, he dreamt of 11 stars in the sky or 11 sheaves of wheat bowing down. Well, 
that represented his 11 brothers. So the number was literal, and it was tied to something symbolic. The stars represented his brothers, the wheat represented his brothers, but the number was literal. Same thing with Pharaoh. He dreamt of seven ears of um, grain, and he dreamt of seven fat cows. Well, that was seven years. So the grain and the cows were symbolic, but the number equaled the number. So we just want to keep it simple for ourselves. We just want to go with scriptural precedence on this. And you know what? We're going to just assume that the number is literal unless God, God says otherwise. But that, um, that's a really easy way to do it, and it works well. Um, the second thing we want to understand um, is about objective and subjective dreams. Now, most of us, most of the time, have subjective dreams. And that means that the dreams are symbolic. And they are just about ourselves. Even though I dream of someone else, that person represents a part of me. Um, or they re- like I might dream of my dad, but it represents like my heavenly father and my relationship with him. So it's really not about that person. And most of us, most of the time, we are dreaming about things going on in our own minds and in our own hearts. And that's what the, it's all about. And everyone in it has to do with that. So that's a subjective dream. However, there are, are objective dreams. An objective dream is more literal. And the people in them are actually those people. And the things that happen in them can literally uh, come true. And one big clue uh, to determine if you may be having one of these more literal objective dreams that are about someone else is if you are simply an observer in the dream. Like if you're not doing anything at all and it's just like playing out for you like almost like a movie on a screen, then that's a clue that it might be an objective dream. And um, the third thing we want to look at in this dream is how important it is how you describe what you're seeing in the dream. How you um, say what it is that you're looking at. Um, because, like, for example, the, the pole vaulting dream. Well, I was, I was trying to pole vault. I could say that. But that doesn't really apply to my waking life. So let me play around with it. Well, what else am I doing? Well, I'm trying to get over something. Well, that's the exact same thing as pole vaulting. But I'm saying it in just a slightly different way. And then, oh, all of a sudden I realize, oh, that's what it's talking about. Just because I use certain words and specific way of saying it, then it just kind of it shifts everything into focus. And, oh, we, we get what area of our life that the dream is speaking to. So, um, so here's the dream that illustrates those three, uh, three principles. My mom and dad were freaking out. Um, my mom was, my, she was telling me how she and dad had just lost all of this money. $182,000. And she is just relating, oh my gosh, you know, we don't know, we've just, you know, gone, lost all this money. And then while she's telling me this, my dad calls my mom up on the phone. And my dad says to my mom, you won't believe it, 
but I just blew through $10,000 yesterday just on food. 10 grand on food. He's like, I have no idea what I did. So he's just like, oh my gosh. And then he hangs up and that's the end of the dream. Well, what in the world does that mean, right? So we know that we can determine if it's objective or subjective if I'm doing anything. And most of our dreams were doing stuff. Most of the dreams were participating. But in this dream, I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't even saying anything. Mom was telling me about how they lost $182,000. Then I was listening to dad tell it to mom. So I wasn't doing anything or saying anything. So that right there is a clue that this might potentially be about someone other than myself. Um, then we look at all the numbers, right? So we've got, we've got 182, 182,000. So 182, and then we've got like 10,000. So it's like 10, and then it was like one day that he went through, lost all this money. So we've got like 182 and 10 and 1. So we've got these three numbers. So now I'm supposed to look in my waking life. Where in the world am I going to find these numbers? Then we know that we look at oh, what's the main emotion in the dream? What's the biggest feeling that's being expressed in this dream? Well, they couldn't believe it. They were just like incredulous, right? Especially my dad. He just couldn't believe that he blew through all that money on food in a day. It's just the whole thing. So that's the main emotion that somewhere I'm going to try to match up with something in my waking life. Then we know we look at the setting. What's going on in my waking life? And when I look at the setting, there wasn't anything that matched this because this dream was actually prophetic. It was actually about something that was to come that day. And now the last thing, and hey, school ministry students, I think you'll remember, what's the third thing we're looking for in this dream? We haven't talked about it yet. We've got the setting, we've got the feeling, and what are... Action. Yes, exactly. The action. So the action of this dream, we might say that the action was losing a lot of money, right? They lost $182,000. But we know it's really important how we say things and how we describe what it is that we're seeing or what's happening in the dream. So another way to say that exact same thing, that they're losing all that money, well, I could say they're gaining a lot of debt. They're gaining a lot of debt. And they don't want to do that, right? That's a bad thing. That's unwanted. Unwanted gain. So we could look at this dream and we could say that it's, it's about someone else's, other than me, right? Someone else's unwanted gain in a short period of time because of food, right? We could look at it that way. It's about someone else's unwanted gain in a short period of time because of food. So I still wouldn't really know what this dream means, but I wake up from it. It's a Saturday morning. Leo had already gotten up earlier than me. Leo comes in. He's like, oh, my word. 
He's like, Charity, I just got on this scale. My weight is all the way up to 182 pounds. I just gained 10 pounds in one week. Yes, unwanted gain, right? So absolutely, we see how that matches up. It was symbolic and it was literal, right? Because the money equaled the pounds, right? So that was then the day. Well, yeah, exact, which is a kind of money too, right? And then the day equaled a week. Dad equaled Leo. And we might think that that's weird, but it's really not. Because my dad, he's a guy that I love, that I'm related to. My husband, Leo, is a guy that I love, that I'm related to. So for dream work, it's a perfect match. Okay, that's, that's definitely how it will work. And then we see the feeling was exactly the same. Dad was incredulous in the dream, and Leo was equally incredulous in waking life. And we see the numbers equal the number, 182 pounds, 10 pounds he gained in one week's time. So it was someone else's unwanted gain in a short period of time because of food. The dream literally came true. So that's, I mean, that's kind of cool, right? If you see how dream work can be fun, I want you to say amen. Okay, cool. So, um... As we have been demonstrating, we are, we are not talking about hearing God, you know, through our dreams once in a lifetime. We're not talking about hearing God through our dreams once every two or three years. We're talking about hearing God through our dreams every single night, okay? Because dreams are regular. They are reliable. They are consistent and continual. They are accessible and available to every single one of us, every single night of our lives. So that's what we're going for. Revelation from heaven every single night through our dreams. Yeah. And now, you know, maybe, maybe you don't feel like you have the gift of dream interpretation. Well, I have the revelation for you. It's not a gift. Okay? Dream interpretation is not a gift. It is that's just, it's not bestowed on a few favored individuals. Dream interpretation is a skill that anyone can learn. Dreams are communicated in a language that anyone can master and become fluent in. So maybe you don't feel like you're very prophetic. Like maybe, maybe you don't feel like you see a lot of visions. Um, but the awesome thing is you do. Because maybe you're not seeing a lot of them in your waking life, but you are seeing them every single night through your dreams. The Bible says that dreams are visions of the night. So every time you dream, every night when you go to sleep, you are receiving a vision from heaven. It is actually a snapshot of the spirit. We are getting glimpses into the supernatural realm. So, so you are already seeing seeing heaven and and you I know you're thinking oh but you don't know my dreams okay they're weird they're crazy okay again those are the dreams we're talking about and they're really not that crazy 
We just haven't learned how to decrypt and decode and translate them, which is what we're going to spend the whole rest of our time learning how to do. But for right now, just know that you are already glimpsing heaven through those dreams you are already having every single night. So we want to look at um, we want to look at uh, like a foundation for dreams, like. Where did they come from? You know, why do we even have dreams? Well, dreams are God's contingency plan, ensuring he would always have a way to connect with us. You know, if we go back to the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve, they walked and talked with God in the garden in the cool of the day. And they had that intimate fellowship, you know, that unbroken communion with God. And that was awesome. But then we know what happened. Then the enemy came in and and said, hey, you know, do you want to just do this on your own? You know, he, what he said to them was, do you want to know, do you want to be like God, right? And do you want to know good from evil? That was the temptation. Well, that was just crazy because number one, they were already like God, Right? They were created in his image, so they were already like him. And number two, they already knew good from evil because God told them. God's like, hey, tree of life, good, eat it. Tree of knowledge of good and evil, evil, don't eat it. So they knew good from evil because they lived out of the voice of God. They already knew because they were dependent on their daddy God, and they lived out of fellowship with him and relationship with him. So the temptation really was, well, do you want to just do this without relying on God, without living out of your heart connection with God? Do you want to just do it on your own and figure it out and reason it with your mind by yourself and live independently um, from, from God? And so we know that's what they chose. They said, yeah, and we know what happened. That just totally you know, demolished their relationship with God in waking life. But God said, not so fast. I am not giving you up that easily. So when you go to sleep at night, that mind shuts down. That mind that you've deified and put in place of me, that thing goes unconscious. And you move down to your heart. And that's where God lives. Right? That's what scripture says. God doesn't live in our head. God lives in our heart. Ephesians 3.17. So we want to live out of our hearts because that's where God lives. So there's an awesome verse of scripture in Song of Solomon, chapter 5. Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 2, speaks to this specific revelation. Song of Solomon 5.2 says that I was asleep, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. I was asleep, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. So when we are asleep in this natural world, our heart is still very much awake and alive to the supernatural world. So while we sleep in this world, our heart is still very much awake and alive to communicate with heaven and to encounter God and to connect with our beloved God would not risk losing his connection with us, so he fashioned us with a spirit just like his. It's one that never sleeps, thus enabling him to communicate with us all night long. 
because God is in relentless pursuit of our hearts. So this was his backup plan. Dreams are God's contingency plan. So God wants us, God wants us observing what he shows us in our dreams at night. Oh, and over and over again, it says in scripture where, what he wants us observing even during the day. He's constantly telling us where to focus the eyes of our hearts. We know we have spiritual eyes. We know we have eyes in our hearts. Ephesians 1, 17 and 18, um, Paul prays that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. So we know we have spiritual eyes, and over and over, God tells us what to do with them. You know, Hebrews 12, 2, it says, fix your eyes on Jesus, uh, the author and perfecter of your faith. And it says in Colossians 3, keep seeking uh, the things above where Christ is. And it says in Romans 8, set your mind on the spirit. Set your mind on the spirit realm. And my favorite, 2 Corinthians 4.18, it says, you know, don't look at the things that are seen. Look at the things that are unseen. Look at the things that are invisible. The things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. But then it tells us why to do this. Why do we do this? 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us why. It says that observation causes transformation. Observation causes transformation. We know this verse. 2 Corinthians 3.18, We all with unveiled face behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, and we are transformed into the same image from glory to glory as from the Lord the Spirit. So here we are. We are beholding something. We are observing something. Well, what are we beholding? Well, we're, we're doing it in a mirror. So if we're looking in a mirror, we're looking at ourselves. But while we do that, we realize, oh, well, there's Jesus, the Christ in us, the hope of glory, and he's in us too. So when we look in the mirror, we see ourselves, but we see he, him in us, and we are changed, and we are transformed more and more into his likeness and into his image, the power of the Holy Spirit. So we see that observation causes transformation. And... Um, we might wonder, well, yeah, why, does, why does God want that? Why does he want us to be observers? Yes, we'll be transformed, but there's even more to it than that. And there's some incredible things that they're finding in the, the realm of quantum physics. Um, I'm fascinated with how um, quantum physics correlates with our supernatural walk in the spirit. And they're, they're finding, well, the principles in quantum physics, they actually um, they agree with, with what the Bible said was true and right all along. Uh, there is a principle in quantum physics, and it is universally understood to be the, the most mysterious yet foundational principle in the entire field of study. And that is called the observer effect. Um, the observer, have you guys heard of this, the observer effect? Okay, it is um, the simple definition. It's just um, by observing something, we change it. Our very act of looking at something, it, it changes it, and um, it affects it. What it's talking about, it's, it's electrons, okay? That's what the physicists study. There are electrons, and they exist as a wave of energy. It's invisible. You can't see it. It's just a wave of energy in the quantum realm, which is a, a dimension that is invisible. And it's a, an invisible wave of energy until it is observed. Like the scientists will set up their equipment to try to, to, 
to capture it and measure it. And when they do that, it all of a sudden, it collapses. And instead of being an invisible wave of potential energy, it actually becomes manifested as a particle, as an electron. You can actually, it is in our localized dimension of time and space. So observing it changes it from an invisible wave to a, a collapsed actual particle in our, in our space-time world. Because all of the possibilities are distributed along the wave. Um, and then when you, you lock it in by observing it, instead of having all these potentials, all of a sudden whew, it's locked in then uh, right here, right now is a single electron or a photon that they can, you, can, you can look at it and see, oh, there it is, and it's right here right now. And they call this, they call this whole thing, it's called wave function collapse. Wave function collapse, but what we just really need to understand for this conversation, so what we, what we mean when we say collapse, we're taking something from the unseen and we're bringing it into the scene. We are moving something from the invisible realm we are collapsing it. We are bringing it into the visible realm. We're moving something from the kind of the spiritual realm. We're bringing it into the physical realm. So it's a, it's a picture in the natural. It's a picture of bringing heaven to earth. We're collapsing that, the waves of invisible potential glories and blessings and promises. Because, you know, the physicists themselves will tell you that the quantum, the quantum realm, it's a world of potential where every possibility is available at any moment in time. That's the physicist's definition of the quantum realm, that any possibility is available at every moment in time. Well, that sounds pretty familiar to us, right? As people of faith, we know that all things are possible to us who believe, right? And we know that... Everything has already been given to us when God gave us Christ, right? We already have everything pertaining to life and godliness. We have already been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Where? In heavenly places, right? So that's kind of, a, it's kind of an invisible dimension. It's kind of this other realm that you can't see, but it's all ours. It's just, it's just in that unseen realm, Hebrews 11.3 actually speaks to this specifically. It says, we understand that what is seen is not made out of things that are visible. Hebrews 11.3. So what is seen, we understand that what is seen, that's matter and particles. This natural world, it's made out of what is unseen, which is waves of potential in the spirit. So wave function collapse, it is a picture in this natural world of what happens when we pray. Because we have every possibility available to us. In heaven, we have every healing, right? We have all provision. Uh, we have all wisdom and favor. Everything we need has been given to us in heavenly places, which is awesome, but we don't just want it in heavenly places. We don't just want it in an, as an invisible potential promise available to us. We want it collapsed. We want it in our here and now. We don't want, want just a, a promised healing. We want a healing in our body. So how do we get it from here to here? Well, the observer effect shows us how we do that. We do it by observing, by, by seeing, by looking. Because when we look at something that's invisible like that, we change it. So it's no longer simply an invisible potential. Now it's collapsed. 
and it's manifested and it's realized in our here and now. And so I'll just give an example of what I mean because this might it sounds kind of oh, hard to understand, but you guys already do this all the time. And so I just want you to see what you're doing and why it works so you can keep doing it. So for example, I have a, a student um, and she, she's a, a medical missionary overseas. And she, um, she was working with this little girl, three-year-old girl, and the child just get, kept getting sicker and sicker. There was nothing that her medicine could do. So she, she had been trying to help, and she did everything. She gave her all the medicine, but she just sent her home because she didn't have anything else she could do to help the child. But then after she sent, sent the little girl home, then she prayed. And so in her vision with God, um, in her prayer time with the Lord, she saw Jesus come to this little girl. And Jesus went to the little girl's house, and he laid his hands on her. And he spoke life over her, and, she, and then she was raised up, and she was healed. So in her vision, she just starts agreeing with that picture that she sees. And she is just speaking life over that little girl. And she's just saying, yes, God, to everything that she's seeing. And she's praying into that vision and, and speaking life. And so, and then she feels a peace about it. And she, um, she comes out of her quiet time. And then the next day, she calls up the little girl's family to check on her. And they're like, you know what? It's the most amazing thing. Um, you know, she, she was just lying there in bed, not moving, not getting any better. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, she just jumps out of bed, full of energy, full of life, starts running around, playing with the other kids. We have our little girl back. She's totally healed. And so she asked her, you know, when, when did this happen? What time did this happen? Well, it was the exact time that she was in prayer with Jesus in the vision. And see, there was a potential Jesus wanted her healed. And it was an invisible, it was in a vision. She wasn't actually at the little girl's house. So it was an unseen realm. And the possibility for healing was there. But she observed it. And that invisible potential collapsed. It collapsed and heaven came to earth. The unseen moved to the scene. And it was no longer just a, a potential and a promise. Now it was a manifested, realized, tangible, actual miracle in this little girl's body that she was healed. So observation caused transformation. So, yeah, so we see how our... Our visual agreement, it is, it's like a bridge upon which the blessings of heaven can cross. Um, so that's why observing is just so, so important. Looking into the, the unseen through our visions by day and through our visions by night. Because God will give us these promises. And if we can observe them, we can change them. According to quantum physics, when we observe it, we change it, we collapse it, and we bring it to ourselves and the really awesome thing is that Jesus himself, he actually called us to be observers. And the way he put it, he said, you're witnesses. Witnesses. Because remember, remember after Jesus, he died and he was buried and then he was resurrected and then he came back to earth and he's just about to leave his disciples. And and then he says something to him, and it's the very last thing he says. And you know that the last thing that somebody says to you right before they leave, that's the most important thing. you got to pay attention to that. 
So the very last thing that Jesus tells his disciples before he leaves, he says, wait. Wait for the promise of the Father. He says, don't go anywhere until my Holy Spirit comes on you and baptizes you and gives you power to be my witnesses. That's what it says in Acts 1, 8. So when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we're empowered to be witnesses. And it's pretty, it's pretty funny because Christians are, Christians are kind of the only people that think that witnessing has something to do with your mouth. Right? We think, oh, let's talk to people about Jesus. But pretty much everyone else understands, first and foremost, witnessing is something you do with your eyes. Right? You witness and you see something. You look like, like the eyewitness news reporting. You know, they're showing you something. Or like if you're a witness in a courtroom, like you, ha- you have to have seen something. You have to have seen a crime being committed. You have to have seen an accident taking place. So before we say anything, we have to see it. So witnessing is about seeing and looking and observing So the baptism of the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the supernatural realm that's all around us. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, it empowers us to look into the spirit realm just like Jesus did. You know, he he did what he saw the Father do. He spoke what he heard the Spirit say. He was constantly living out of that invisible dimension all around him. So if, if we have any hope of, of making that work, of modeling Jesus, then we too have to live with our eyes wide open to the spirit realm. And so, so we know we're supposed to. We know we're supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus. We know we're supposed to set our mind on the spirit and keep seeking Christ and things above. But how do we do that? Well, Acts 1.8 is our how. You know, it's, it's how... When we, um, the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we are empowered and anointed to be his witnesses. And it's, it's real-time witnesses. Like current, present tense, what is going on with the company of heaven in this moment? Because Jesus wants a witness to his life, the one that he's living right now. And so then we model it, and then we collapse that glory and that healing and that provision, that blessing, and we bring it to earth through our practiced observation. So, so in just in summary of this, this observer effect, understanding, we, you know, we understand that when we see the potentials God is showing us in our dreams, we create a visual agreement. This agreement is a bridge upon which those promised potentials can cross. However, they remain in a spiritual state of possibility until someone on earth observes them, until someone on earth agrees with them. So when we unlock our dreams and our visions of the night, these snapshots of the spirit that we have while we sleep, we're able to agree with God's messages in them and release his blessing into our lives. So as we learn to understand and interpret our dreams, we will be releasing the revelation and the resources of the kingdom and into our world. Okay, we'll be collapsing the invisible into the visible. We'll be collapsing the unseen into the seen. And we'll be collapsing the glory and bring heaven to earth. Okay, so that's, that's the vision. That's, that's what we're going for. If that sounds good to you, I want you to say Amen. 
Okay, great. So uh, we just we want to speak some truth over ourselves right now. I want to do some declarations because we want to like lock this revelation in. We've kind of said a, a lot of stuff, but we want to get it down deep into our spirits. So uh, Proverbs 18.21 says that life and death is in the power of the tongue. So we'll speak some life. Everybody can just say this after me. Say, observation causes transformation. Say, I am a witness of Jesus and the life that he's living. Say, in my dreams at night, I observe heaven. And I collapse that glory and bring heaven to earth. Amen. Whew. Awesome. So, so that... So that's kind of the big, you know, scientific backdrop and understanding of dreams. But now we would just, we want to get down into the nuts and bolts of it. For our dreams for tonight, what can we do to decode and decrypt whatever we see when we go to sleep tonight? So the most, the most important thing we understand, what is the most important thing? You guys know, what do we want to understand about dreams? The number one principle, the setting, right, and then the action and the emotion. And then we also want to understand that they are symbolic, right? They're not literal. They're metaphorical. But the thing is, that explains why they seem crazy. That's why they seem weird. It's just because they're, they're pictures. And, and how can we make sense out of these seemingly strange dreams? We just have to understand that they're communicated in this, this different language, right? Because, for example, in our natural world, I mean, we have, we have like digital languages, right? Like that the a computer um, or our cell phones are, that's what they use. And so there's, there's binary code. There's like ones and zeros, right? That, I mean, that's how it, it works. When you send me a text message, it comes into my cell phone as it's a jumbled mess of ones and zeros, which if I were to look at that, that would mean nothing to me. But inside my cell phone is a decoder. There's a decoder, and it just translates that binary code of confusing numbers into a language that I understand. It decrypts it and decodes it. It puts it into English. So when I look at my cell phone, it comes up, there's this clear message right on my screen that makes sense to me. So when we receive these quote-unquote weird dreams, we just need to realize, oh, we just haven't decoded them yet. All we need is the dream decoder, which are the three keys. And again, okay, so number one, you just said it. What's the main one? Setting. What's the second one? Action. What's the third one? Emotion. Awesome. And so we just want to look... Um, in depth at each one of these keys so you understand exactly all the nuances of how um, to use these tools because these are the three things that you need. If you, if you wrap your understanding around this in your heart, then, then you'll be able to understand any dream that you have and you can help other people understand their dreams. Um, so yes, yeah, so what we have said, the foundational understanding is that they're symbolic. Um, and what we mean... Yeah, like, um, it's so easy to work with symbols. We just flip a switch in our brain. This is look at this figuratively. Like, for example, in the States, if we have, like, a political cartoon, we're going to have donkeys and elephants. 
okay? And um, it's not really hard for us to figure out. This is not talking about zoology, right? We're not going on a safari with the elephants. Immediately, we flip a switch. Oh, look at this figuratively. That's representing the Democrats and the Republicans. Okay, that's not hard. That's, that's super simple. Scripturally speaking, we absolutely see this. Like, for example, in Genesis, you know, Joseph, he had, he had the sheaves of wheat bowing down to him. And he had stars in the sky bowing down to him. Okay, how many know, that sounds like a pizza dream. I mean, stars bowing, seriously? I don't even know what that would look like. But that's what he dreamt. And how many know God was speaking to him through that dream? So it was just a symbol that needed to be decrypted and decoded and translated. And again, it's pretty interesting. Joseph's brother's response to those dreams that he had. I mean, what happened? They freaked out, right? They immediately, they're like, they knew it wasn't an astronomy lesson, right? They knew it wasn't about agriculture. They immediately knew, oh, they looked at it figuratively and symbolically. They're like, oh, you're saying that we're going to bow down to you? So we can learn a lot from a culture who understands how to immediately, instantly, easily interpret their dreams. Um, so like we've said, you know, the people symbolize something or someone else. Like maybe you'll dream of Pastor Charles and he might represent, you know, the spiritual part of you because you see him as like a spiritual authority in your life. Or maybe, maybe Miss Nicole, she's like the creative part of you. So it's usually not about the people themselves. It's about what they represent to you. It might be their name. It might be their job or their dominant characteristic. Um, and, uh, and we touched on this in the School of Ministry, but I'll, I'll just mention it again. Uh, you know, most of us have these symbolic dreams. There are people among us in this house specifically, the creatives among us, the very right brain, intercessory, visionary kind of people, and they will have more literal dreams. And so that's awesome if you are gifted in that, and we totally honor that. But understand that 95% of us 95% of the time, we have symbolic dreams. So we need to translate them and figure out, oh, this person is actually representing this or this event is representing that. And so we just, then we translate that picture language and then we get the message from it. So as we've said, the first key in our little dream decoder of the three is the setting. Setting is everything. And we do not know anything about a dream until we know the setting. So the setting is what is going on in our waking life when we had the dream. And so in our dream work, we actually, we, we say, you know how they say like lo in, in real estate, they say location, location, location. Okay, so we say setting, setting, setting. Because you have got to know what is going on in the dreamer's life. What happened during the day at work? What were they thinking about when they went to bed at night? Uh, what were they praying for as they fell asleep? Because that's so important to decrypting um, that dream. The setting of the dream is like a legend to a treasure map. And we don't understand one without the other. The setting of the dream is like a legend to the treasure map. And we don't understand one without the other. So again, like we talked about, we just take, we overlay the setting from our waking life onto the dream and see what matches up, what emotion matches up and what action matches up. And it's, it's really easy to do. And, you know, I mean, we see the, the principle of how important the setting is scripturally, for sure. Um, remember Joseph, 
Um, he was he was engaged to be married to Mary, and then all of a sudden she winds up pregnant. It's not his kid, and he's like, you know what? I think I'm done. I think I'm out of here. And then the scripture says, as he was considering these things, he had a dream. And the angel came to him in his dream and said, hey, it's okay. It's God's baby in there. You can go ahead and marry Mary. And so he was thinking about something. He was praying about something in his waking life. And then the dream spoke to that question on his heart. So that's the importance of the setting. We see it again in Acts 16. Um, the Apostle Paul, we know that guy. He travels all over to um, set up churches. And so it says in Acts 16, he was trying to, he was trying to go over to the city, um, but the Spirit of Jesus was not permitting him. And then it says he tried to go over to this other city, um, but the Holy Spirit forbade him. And so... And so then he goes to sleep, and then there's a Macedonian man waving to him in his dream at night. So obviously, the setting from his waking world is, where am I supposed to be going on my mission trip? And so then God, through the dream, said, okay, go to Macedonia. That's what he took. It as a word from the Lord to go there, and that answered the question that was on his heart um, from his waking life. So a contemporary example of, of how this would work, this is another one of my students um, up in Canada. And uh, she had a dream where there were these, she emailed it to me, and she's like, you know, everywhere I went, there were these huge dogs. And she's like, I went to this, this um, park, and there are these big dogs, and they were, they were like kind of like on a, a leash or a chain or something, and someone, I couldn't really see them, they were pulling them back. Um, but, but there were these dogs, and then I went to this, like, other place, and there, there's these big dogs again, but there was somebody, I couldn't really see them, and they were kind of pulling them back, but, but there's just big dogs everywhere, and so what does that mean? I have no idea what that means. We don't know anything about the dream until we know the setting, and I didn't know the setting, so I emailed her back. I'm like, hey, what is going on in your waking life? You know, were you, were you praying for anything specifically, like right before you had this dream? Um, you know, what was going on during your day? And then, you know, what's up with the dogs? You know, that was a really big symbol in the dream. So where are you at with dogs? I mean, do you, do you love dogs? Are you scared of dogs? How do you feel about them? So she emailed me back, and she's like, yeah, you know, actually this, this night that I had the dream, the, the day before, I had been praying and fasting um, for God to break off the demonic attacks against our family. And, um, and actually, I had lived in the Middle East for like 20 years, and over there, they don't like dogs. And so I am uncomfortable with dogs. And actually, in this dream, the dogs were definitely demonic. Like, okay, that is some good information. Okay, because then we can just take that from her waking life setting and overlay it onto the dream. We look at the main action. What is the main action? In this dream, remember? Yes, the dogs are being restrained. 
Everywhere she went, they were being pulled back on a leash by someone she couldn't see. So that was a picture of God, right? That's someone she can't see who's big and strong and, and pulling back. And I said, this is awesome. This is an answer to your prayer. Because, yeah, there's these dogs, but they can't get you. You know, there's Satan, but he, he, he's on a leash, you know, and God is, is pushing him back, and God is showing you that he is answering your prayers. Because you're not even, you're not struggling and striving with these dogs, right? You don't have to struggle and strive with Satan. God has got this because you're just light in the Lord, and light pushes out darkness. It just is. And so you showed up, and automatically the dogs were, were taken back wherever you went. So God is totally hearing you. He sees your prayer and fasting, and he, he's answering. And, and she was like, oh, that's awesome. She was super encouraged and blessed by, by the interpretation. Um, but that's, that's how easy it can be when you just match up, when you look at the setting and you look at the action. And that leads us then to the, to the second one. Again, we're going to look at the emotion. Um, in the, you know, so in the dream, the action is what am I doing or what is the biggest thing going on? You know, was there for this one, it was restraint or am I serving? Am I ministering? Am I running? Am I hiding? That's the main action. But then the main emotion is, you know, how am I feeling? You know, am I excited? Am I grateful? Am I scared? Am I angry? And then I look, okay, where in my waking life am I feeling that emotion? So, um, another dream I'll share. Um, it illustrates all three of these keys and it's, um, it's my girlfriend's dream. Uh, she was in my Bible study and, uh, it's a crazy dream. Um, Marie. Marie had this dream, and in her dream, she uh, she was sitting at a table with her friend. She was at her friend's house, and they were drinking beer. She's like, ugh, this isn't very good beer. She's like, I'm going to go get me some good stuff. So she leaves her friend's house, and she goes down a hill. And then she's, like, going in and out of all of these stores trying to find her her good beer. And she can't find it. And she's like kind of, she's uncomfortable in that area because it's like unfamiliar territory, whatever the city is that she's in. So she's a little uncomfortable. But then she does. She finds what she's looking for. And she goes back to the bottom of the hill. And then there's like an escalator and it takes her back up. So what does that mean? That is crazy. So we know the setting to zero in on which area of our waking life that the dream is speaking to, you know, we, we ask, what area, uh, where in your life are you experiencing, like, the action of this dream? So the biggest action as well, she's searching, right? She's looking for something. That's the biggest action. She's going in and out of different places trying to find what she's looking for. That was the biggest action in the dream. And then What's the, the biggest emotion? Well, she's, um, she's discontent. She started. She didn't like what she had, right? She was discontent. And then um, she was good at the end. She was excited that she found what she was looking for. So there's two emotions that dream. And so we, we just say, okay, well, where in your waking life are you feeling this way? You know, and where are you searching for something? Where are you looking for something more different or better? And um, 
It just so happened that she and her husband were looking for a new church. And so in waking life, they had actually, they'd been visiting different churches. They had been going in and out of different churches, trying to kind of find what they were looking for, because they were discontent where they were. And um, it's pretty interesting, you know, she... um, the symbol of beer. I mean, what's up with the beer, right? I mean, come on. Right, exactly. See, now I, I don't personally drink beer, um, and if you don't drink beer, then you're not going to dream of beer. But my friend, she does drink beer. So that is an appropriate symbol for her from her waking world. And I just laughed because it made me think of, I mean, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Um, even in Acts 2, it says, you know, these men are not drunk as you suppose, um, but they're filled with the Holy Ghost. So, you know, in, in the Bible then, you know, the Holy Spirit is like kind of like wine, and wine is like kind of like beer. So beer equaled the Holy Spirit in her dream for her. Okay, and because that's, um, that's actually what was going on in her life, they were um, at a, a traditional conservative church, and um, they started going to some spirit-filled, charismatic churches, looking for more. So let's just um, let's just look at exactly how this dream was. What was going on in her waking life, starting at the beginning? Now that we have all of the pieces, we can very easily see um, how it really made sense. So remember, at the beginning, she was with her friend at a table. So that was a place of fellowship where she knows people, her friends. Obviously, that's her church that she has been going to, and she has friends there. But she's just like, Ugh, I'm thirsty for something more. right? She felt that there was something more, and so she wanted it. So, so she's leaving her place of fellowship, this church um, where she had been and where she knew people, and she leaves, and then she goes, she goes down a hill. So she is in a valley. So it's like a valley of decision, right? And then she's going in and out of places, trying to find what she's looking for. And so in Waking Life, she is going in and out of different churches, visiting them, trying to find what she is looking for. She is searching for the more. And remember in the dream, she was like kind of uncomfortable um, because it was unfamiliar territory, And that spoke, again, exactly. That emotion was the same. Just like she had discontent at the beginning, then she was uncomfortable because she was visiting charismatic churches, and that was like a brand new thing for her. And so, oh my goodness, if she's just like, the people are dancing. There's like flags. Everybody's so happy. And she just, she didn't know what to do with it. She really liked it, but it was super unfamiliar. And so as a result, it was just a little uncomfortable. And so that's exactly what the dream showed. It was unfamiliar, so as a result, it was uncomfortable. But she kept going until she found what she was looking for. And I'm like, this is awesome. You're, you're going to get it. And then, remember what happened at the end? She came back over to the hill, and there was an escalator. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Your, your walk with God, it's not going to be like you have to struggle and strive to move up. Now, this is just like a picture of supernatural elevation, Right? Because God and the Holy Spirit, they're just going to, whoo, 
give you more, further up, further into all that God has for you. So I was super excited about this stream. And obviously, yeah. So what do you think? Do you think I go and say, hey, Marie, you have to go to a charismatic church, thus saith the Lord. Absolutely not. Okay, we never force our interpretation on anyone else's dream. We always just come in a spirit of humility. We are coming to serve them. And so I just, you know, I was excited about the dream. And I just said, well, hey, you know, this is kind of how it looks to me. You know, how do you feel about this? And then, and she did. It felt great to her. She's like, yeah, that totally clicks. That resonates in my heart. And that's what we're looking for. The interpretation, you know you have it right if it resonates in the heart of the dreamer themselves. They are always the one to determine if you've got the right interpretation in. And gratefully, um, we did. She was excited about that. And she was blessed and encouraged by that. So, um, yeah. So, I want to do a couple more declarations because we know that Job says when we declare a thing, it is established. So we want to establish some truth in our minds, in our hearts, in our spirits. So everybody just say this after me. This first one is awesome. Say dream interpretation is fun. Say I am never going to look at my dreams the same way again. Say, God counsels me at night through my dreams. And I'm going to decode the messages he speaks to me at night. Yay, you. Amen. Whew. All right. So now I want to shift gears a little bit, but we have got to get back into the word because there are so many scriptures about dream work and more than anything I say, it really just matters what God has to say about dream interpretation. So we need to find that out. I mean, what do you think? Does the Bible, does the Bible have anything to say about dreams? Yes, it sure does. The Bible is full of dreams and visions. In fact, if you add up all of the scriptures on dreams and visions and all the interpretations of those dreams and all of the actions of people as a result of obedience to the revelation they received in their dreams, that adds up to a third of the Bible. A third of the Bible. That's the equivalent to the New Testament. Okay, so God has one book. He spends a third of it on dream and vision. How many know it's important to him? And if it is important to God, it is important to us. Amen. So we want to have a very comprehensive understanding and unshakable faith that dream work is scriptural. It is biblical. This is how God always communicated. And so we want to learn to speak that language too. So here are some verses. If we want to turn to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3 it's, um, it's kind of a familiar story, but sometimes we don't realize exactly um, what was going on. And uh, we, all know, we all know Solomon, right? What's the biggest thing we know about Solomon? Wisdom, absolutely. And who gave Solomon his wisdom? God. Well, that's pretty awesome. And it was such an amazing, incredible gift that totally changed his life. You would think probably God would want Solomon awake for that. 
right? You'd, God would want Solomon to be um, not sleeping when he entrusts such a supernatural gift to him. So let's, um, let's find out when God gave Solomon his gift of wisdom. Yeah, so in 1 Kings chapter 3, we pick it up in verse 5. It says, In Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. And God said, Ask what you wish me to give you. Solomon says, Give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Now, um, that's verse 9. Now jump to verse 12. Verse 12 says, God says, Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart, so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one arise like you after you. Then jump to verse 15. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 15 says, Then Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So this whole entire encounter happened while he was asleep at night in a dream. So it's a really good thing that Solomon wasn't like a lot of us, and he didn't wake up and say, wow, that was so cool. Too bad it was just a dream. You know, that was so awesome, but too bad it wasn't real. No, it was totally real, and God was totally meeting him. And see, this is the thing. Dream life is real life because God does things in dreams that he says count, right? And so if we turn to 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 2, we can fast forward the story a little bit and see actually how important dreams are in God's perspective and his point of view. Um, 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 2, it says, The Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. Well, how did he appear to him at Gibeon? In a dream. Exactly. We know. We saw that in chapter 3. So God is saying, okay, I've come to you now. This is the second time I'm coming to you in a dream. Now, if you look in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 9. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 9. This is the end of Solomon's life. And this is what God had to say. Verse 9. Now the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. So God's kind of saying, hey, it's really too bad that you messed up, considering I came to you twice. And you know, Solomon couldn't say, well, sorry, it didn't really count. It was just a dream. God's like, come on, this counts. We see that God is actually holding Solomon accountable for what happened in his dream. So that's how seriously he takes dreams. God never once in the Bible said, oh, it's just a dream. It's not real. It doesn't count. He did the opposite. He held people accountable for what happened in their dreams. And he did a lot of other really significant things in dreams. So we've got to look at a couple more of them. We've got to get this foundational understanding of God's perspective, how much he values dreams and what he does in our lives through them. So if we look at Genesis uh, chapter 15, Genesis chapter 15 is um, the story of Abram. And so we know, we know God established his covenant with Abram, right? That's, that's pretty important. 
So what do you think? Do you think God did that, you know, during the day versus at night? Do you think maybe God wanted Abram awake when he established the covenant with him? You, you would think so, but let's take a look. In Genesis 15, uh, verse 12, it says, Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that's not theirs, where they'll be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they serve, and afterward they'll come out with many possessions. If you jump to verse 18, it clarifies exactly what is happening. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river Euphrates. So, this all happened in a dream at night while he was asleep. And it's a really good thing Abraham didn't wake up from that and say, Oh, that was so cool. Too bad it was just a dream. Oh, that was so awesome. Too bad it wasn't real. No, he woke up from that dream and he he lived into it. I mean, that was, the Abrahamic covenant was the establishment of Judaism, you know, and Christianity came from that. So we're talking thousands of years of faith that started where? With one man in a dream with God. So that is how God sees dreams and how important they are to him. We can look again in Genesis chapter 31. Genesis chapter 31. Um, you guys kind of know this story about Jacob. Do you remember, oh my goodness, when he was working for Laban, and Laban kept jipping him, changing his wages, right? And then Jacob gets that crazy idea with the striped and speckled sheep. And he's like, oh yeah, I think what I should do, because Laban said I could have all the hel- um, striped and speckled sheep as my payment. So he's like, I know, I'm going to take all of the, the healthy of the flock and I'm going to stick like striped and speckled branches in front of them by the water while they're mating. And then they're going to observe those sticks. And then... All the healthy animals are going to have striped and speckled babies. And he did it. And it worked. Now, that's a weird idea. That's a crazy business strategy, right? So where do you think Jacob came up with such a ridiculous idea? So uh, what was that? Yeah, quantum physics. Exactly. Observation causes transformation. You are right. So it says, it says in Genesis 31, verse 10, that it came about at the time when the flocks were mating, I lifted up my eyes and I saw in a dream. And behold, the male goats which were mating were striped, speckled, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, I'm here. He said, lift up your eyes now. See all the male goats that are mating and striped. They're speckled. They're mottled. I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. So it is a really good thing that when Jacob woke up from this dream, he didn't say, oh, that was so cool. She bet it wasn't real. She bet he didn't say, oh, this is just a crazy dream. This is like a pizza dream. I'm not going to listen to this. No, he woke up 
from his dream, he acted on it, and he made it come true. And so he's actually, he's receiving heavenly downloads of business strategies, right? And the scripture says that as a result of this crazy striped sheep thing, he became exceedingly prosperous. Exceedingly prosperous for acting on a crazy dream that we realized was not crazy at all. It was revelation from heaven. And we won't turn there, but you guys can check out the first couple of chapters in the New Testament. Um, Matthew, there's Joseph, the husband of Mary, that Joseph. The Old Testament Joseph had a lot of dreams, and the New Testament Joseph did too. But over and over again, four times in just two chapters, he got revelation from God through dreams, over and over. So it's not just like once, or twice. It's like the, the, the way God chooses to communicate. This is how he does it all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament. Um, you know, he's encouraged by an angel in the dream. We talked about that. But, he, you know, God's like, hey, move to Egypt in a dream. He said, return to Israel. He said, avoid Judea. Okay, these are instructions because this is the situation in waking life. Herod, bad guys, they are out to murder baby Jesus, the savior of the world. So God is giving Joseph instructions how to protect the savior of the world. You would think, hey, God, maybe you want Joseph awake for this. This is pretty important stuff. Pretty significant instructions that you're giving him. Maybe he should be awake. No. Let me just tell him at night while he's asleep in a dream. Because he knew he could trust Joseph to pay attention to his dreams and to honor them and to live into them and to live out of them. And I, I'll, just, I'll just throw this out here because I think it's, it's pretty interesting all the things we do not know about Joseph. We know very, very little about the man that God chose to be the earthly father of Jesus. One thing we know, though, four times God says, oh, he listens to his dreams. He pays attention to me through his dreams. He honors his dreams. He obeys his dreams. So I wonder how big of a role that played. And, oh, he's a pretty good candidate for raising up Jesus. I, just, I think that's really, really cool. Um, the last section of Scripture that we want to look at is really, really awesome. It's in Job chapter 33. And there are some amazing um, promises that God gives us to us about dreams. In Job chapter 33 starting in verse 14. It says, Indeed, God speaks once or twice, uh, but men don't recognize it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men and they slumber in their beds, God says, I open their ears and seal their instruction to turn them from their conduct, to keep them from pride, to keep back their soul from the pit, and his life from passing over into Sheol. And then if you jump down to verse 29 of chapter 33, it says, Behold, God does all these things oftentimes with men to bring back his soul from the pit that he may be enlightened with the light of life. Well, I want to be enlightened with the light of life. I want my soul brought back from the pit. And these verses, they really actually, they kind of remind me of bumper bowling. 
I don't know if you guys have this in Australia, but in, in the States, no bumper bowling. Okay, so I'm going to describe this. So what it, yeah? Okay. What are we, Right. Okay, good. So, okay, so we know what we're talking about. Because, like, cause like, when um, when um, my brother has three little kiddos, and so whenever their birthday parties roll around, they either want to go roller skating or bowling. And so if we go bowling, we get two lanes. One is for the big kids, like me, and then one is for the little kiddos, and they've got these rails these bumpers, these barriers and blockades in the gutter. So no matter how this little five-year-old throws this ball, it is going to get where it's supposed to go. It's going to get to the end and hit some pins. And so it just kind of, it just bumps the bumpers. And so I kind of, I kind of feel like that's how God does, how God uses our dreams at night. Because, you know, we're kind of just, we're going along, and we're going along, and we're doing pretty good in life, but we just get a little bit off. We just get into maybe just a little bit of fear. We have a dream. Oh, it just bumps us right back on track. We're doing good, and we're doing good. We just get into a little bit of, you know, worry or anger, and oh, we have a dream, and it just bumps us back on track. So we stay right right in the center, right where God wants us to be. Um, and he pulls us back from, from the pit of destruction, from the pit of overwhelm, from the pit of negativity. And it's just kind of, it's like, um, it's like a reboot. You know, when your computer, you just, if you reboot it, it just recalibrates everything. And, and that's what I feel dreams do in the night. They recalibrate us to the mind of Christ and to the heart of God. And, you know, and even, even like a GPS, you know, you're just going along, but you just, recalculating, just whew, recalculating. It just keeps us right there um, where, where he wants us and where we want to be. So, you know, these guys, they, these guys saw God. They, they talked with him. You know, Abram, Solomon, Jacob, they were receiving supernatural promises. They were receiving gifts from God. They were receiving divine business strategies um, through their dreams. But you know what? That's the old covenant. And we're in a new covenant. It's a better covenant. It has even better promises. So if they're meeting God in their dreams, if they're getting divine business strategies in their dreams, if they're receiving supernatural promises in their dreams, how many know we are doing all of that too? For sure. Absolutely. We can go to bed expecting this because this is we've got scriptural precedence here. Everything that God did in Scripture, he wants to do in our lives because these things were written as an example for us. So he wants to live into them, live into these um, examples because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, you know, in, in summary, we just we realize that really, really significant things happened in our dreams. And in the Bible, God never once said, it's just a dream. It doesn't count. No, God held people accountable to their encounters and dreams. And, and what was the common thread, you know, of all these dreams? Well, the people woke up and they acted on those dreams. Um, and so that's what we want to do. We want to act on our dreams and make them come true. 
So we realize God is still giving us actionable instructions at night, right? He's still providing protection, just like he did with Joseph and, and Mary and Jesus. He's still providing gifts and revelation in our visions of the night. So, um, you know, I want to I wanna kind of finish up so that you guys can go home and get sleep and have dreams. Yes, absolutely. Um, but you do have some homework for the night because um, when you go to sleep, get a journal, get a pen ready with the cap off, set it right by your bedstand, bedside, because um, as soon as you wake up, if it's in the middle of the night or right when you wake up in the morning, just jot it down. Just jot it down. or Otherwise, you'll, you'll forget it. But here's the deal. You write that down. And I think already you have learned so much that you're going to have some understanding of the dream. But by the end of tomorrow night's session, you absolutely will be able to make sense of the dream. You will be able to interpret that dream. You will be able to translate um, that message that God is speaking to you in the night. So in closing, we just, we just want to pray. You know, now we see, we understand how God sees dreams how incredibly important they are as a communicative medium. And so um, we want to see dreams the same way. You know, if we, if we have not done that, um, we want to repent, you know, for not honoring dreams. If we have felt that they're just leftover pizza, you know, if we've not paid attention to them, we want to say, okay, God, I repent. I'm changing my thinking to line up with you and your thinking. And you said you do things in dreams. Okay, so I, I go to bed receive, expecting to receive that. I believe you. I believe your word. And everything you did for Solomon and Abram and Job and Jacob, I want that for me too. All right, so um, awesome. Um, let's just pray. Father God, I just I thank you so much for every single person here today. I thank you so much for their heart for you, God, um, that they want to hear from you all day and they want to hear from you all night. Um, right now, Lord, we, we see, we've looked at the verses. We see how important dreams are to you and that you're always speaking, God. And if we have not honored dreams, we repent. God, we're sorry. Um, we see that you are always speaking through dreams. And the only question is, are we listening? So God, right now we choose to be like Samuel. When he went to, when he went to bed at night, he said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So I just pray that, um, there just be a spirit of faith and expectancy in the heart of every single person here tonight. As we go to sleep and we put our journals by our bedside, I just pray that your Holy Spirit's presence would come into every single room here. There just fill the minds and fill the hearts and fill the spirits of, of every single one. And that when we close our eyes, when we, when we go to sleep, our heart will still be very much awake to commune with you, our beloved. I pray that we would um, see your visions, we would dream your dreams, that you would reveal yourself to us through our visions of the night, just like you promised, God. We are taking you at your word. We know that you're not a man that you should lie or the son of man. You'll repent. You've said it. You will do it. You've spoken it. You'll make it sure. And you've said that you will meet us in our dreams at night. So God, we ask for dreams. We ask Holy Spirit to, to come upon us in the night and speak to us, whisper to us, open our ears, seal our instruction. God, we thank you that you are enlightening us with the light of life through our dreams and our visions of the night. God, we take you at your word. We thank you for it, God. Um, you are so awesome. We love you so much. We bless you, God. We thank you for all of these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Woo!